Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is Marcello Rolando, the host of the Reasonable Voices talk radio news show. And our reasonable voice today is Andrea Miller. Last week we talked about, is the Commonwealth of Virginia ready for our midterms? This week we're going to talk about, is America ready? Andrea Miller is the chair of the People's Budget Campaign and executive director of People Demanding Action, a multi-issue advocacy group. She is both an organizer and digital advocacy expert. Andrea has appeared on the Tom Hartman Show, and as I said, The Reasonable Voices, and Charlottesville This Week. She hosts the Progressive Roundtable and is an IT professional. Andrea Miller is also responsible for People Demanding Action's digital strategy and customizes advocacy tools for small to medium-sized organizations through the Progressive Support Project. Welcome back, Andrea Miller, to The Reasonable Voices. How are you? I am great. And Marcello, thank you so much for inviting me to join you. Oh, oh, absolutely. I, my pleasure, because you are always so, not just informative and educational, and we all need both, but the way you explain it breaks it down so that we who do not, uh, although I am guilty of 24-7 involvement in politics, but but most people are not. And those who are not, as well as those who are, get the experience of some very specific, detailed, clear instruction, uh, guides, hints. Uh, what else? What, what else would you call it? Well, advocacy kit, things that regular people can do. Yes, there you go. I love that. That's better than anything I said. All right, well, then let's get to it. Everyone's thinking, I think most of us anyway, are thinking and focused on uh, not only what's what seems to be going on in, with all the various scandals in Washington, D.C., but also what is America writ large going to do about it in November 2018 in our midterm elections. So... I guess my first question is, uh, is America vote-ready for our midterms? Well, uh, that 
Kasovich in question, and the answer is yes, there are some people who are vote ready, but unfortunately, we might have as many as 50 million American voters who could get a very, very rude surprise on election day by discovering that A, they have been either deactivated, if not deregistered, by their board of elections. Now, in some states, if you are an inactive, suspended, or whatever they choose to call it, voter in your state, you're going to be challenged to provide some additional information, and you'll still be able to vote. If you have been deregistered, unless your state offers same-day registration, and very few states do that, you will unfortunately not be able to cast a ballot, or at least not one that's going to count. Is this part of or independent of what we hear about states like Georgia, uh, for instance, purging voters from their roles. Is this the same thing or is it a, a slightly more legitimate version of what you're talking about, deregistering people? Well, when a voter ends up being deregistered, it means whether it was for good reasons and an accident or nefarious reasons and deliberate. Mm. It means that this person no longer is going to be able to cast a ballot and have a say in who makes up members of their government making decisions that are going to impact their lives and the lives of their children. People tend to look at the midterm elections as they're maybe not really all that important. Mm. Well, when we look at the midterms, and I think we should really just stop saying that, yes, it is true, it is not a federal presidential year. However, there are a number of states where their entire state legislators in addition to their member of Congress, is up for re-election. In the state of Georgia, we are talking about 250 seats that are up for election in one election. Wow. Now, let me go back to your question. When we look at what they do and why they deregister voters, number one, the all states really do want to try to maintain their voter roll. Mm. And that's legitimate, meaning there are people or voters in their state, people die. That means they should get taken off the roll. Yes. People move. That means they should get taken off the rolls in the state where they used to live and then get added into the state where they are now living now. That's legitimate. That is legitimate voter file maintenance. Where we're running into a problem is everything in the world is run by databases, Mm. big databases. And what a number of states are doing is 
they're saying, we've got a really, really good way, as opposed to the bad way mm-hmm. of maintaining our voter rolls by saying, all right, we're going to take our, our vote file. Great big database of every person that they believe is of voting age in their state and is an active voter. And we're going to compare it to some really big, even bigger federal database. Uh, and we're going to compare it to the Postal Service change of address database. Okay, great. If you filed a change of address with the Postal Service, okay, that means you've moved. And so now we've got your address, you registered for voting, and now we've got the Postal Service has you with the change of address. Mm-hmm. Your Board of Elections Secretary of State, they're going to mail you a postcard. All right, now, there's a couple of problems with mailing the postcard. Number one, it's a cheap-looking postcard. Mm. People get it, they see it, it looks like junk mail, it gets thrown away. The other problem with the postcard is often in fine print, it says, you must return this postcard. Now, I give North Carolina a lot of credit. North Carolina on their postcards said, if you don't return this postcard, you may be removed from the voter roll. But was that in fine print, too? Um, it wasn't in really big print, but it wasn't in tiny print either. Okay. And what we're seeing is a lot of older voters are now ending up on the inactive list possibly because they, A, didn't notice, couldn't read the fine print. Mm. And then there's another reason why we think they're ending up on the inactive voter roll. The other big federal database that they use is the Social Security database. The Social Security database, they use it. Has a person died? The post office doesn't know if you died or not. But Social Security does because there's a very good chance a spouse or a dependent child or someone may have filed for survival benefits. There's only survival benefits if someone has died. So they look at that very, very good. But apparently one of the other things they're looking at, which is turning out to be problematic, is they're following where Social Security checks go. They're basically following money, saying, well, would you have your money sent to a place where you don't live? And the answer, unfortunately, is yes, many people do. They have their check if they still receive a check sent to a child, a family friend, or depositing. We had that happen at a training for voter registrars, for citizen registrars in Virginia. One of the things I always do when I teach classes is I have everybody that's going to register voters, I teach them how to check and make sure that even when people say, oh, I'm registered to vote, that they check and make sure the registration is active. One of the ladies nearly 
fell off her chair when she saw her registration came up as inactive. Mm. But when we looked at her voting record, she had voted in every election that Virginia had had as far back as they were showing your election history. Wow. What triggered the inactive voter for who it was, she had her social security check mailed to her daughter because she travels frequently and didn't want the check sitting in her mailbox. Gotcha. And she swears she never saw or received a postcard. And, and here's the other issue with postcard. Normally, what we're used to is when you get a postcard, you normally only have to return it if the information on it is wrong. Yes. Generally, if you get a postcard and everything is okay, you look at it, yeah, that's correct, and then you toss it. Yes. And we're programmed to think that way because, I mean, everything, I, I get emails for various things and mail, and it says exactly that. If this information is correct, you don't need to respond. So, right. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. That's our norm. Responding when everything is correct, that is not the norm. So, between felony distance franchisement, meaning people are being deregistered because there is a felony, they've been convicted of a felony in all the two states, that means that if you go to prison, you will not be able to re-register and regain your franchise until you get out of prison. The other bad thing that some states use is this horrible interstate cross-check system that Chris Kovach, the Secretary of State in Kansas, came up with, mm. where they match your first name, your last name, look across 18 to 20 states, and if they come up with two people in the same name, depending upon what the state is, they are all, oh, look, we've got somebody voting in a multiple state, and then you get deregistered, and they don't have to notify you that they deregistered you. You just show up to vote, and you get a very good surprise. Well, obviously, that begs the que- that begs the question. Then, how, how, what do we do to make certain we are registered before it's time to vote? Well, and this is critical. Every American who wants to vote needs to go to your state board of elections or secretary of state website, whatever they call them. You need to go there. And you need to, under election information, find their voter portal where you can check your registration and make sure that it says active, that it's not inactive or unregistered. Mm. Because if you find out early enough, you will be able to either A, call your local registrar and say, look, I'm listed as inactive and I want to be active. It's that simple in Georgia if you are on the inactive list. You can just make a phone call and they'll say, oh, yes, we've got contact with the voter. They want to be active. 
and Texas, you may actually have to re-register if you have moved and you did not change your address with the Board of Elections. Now, why is your address important? Your address is important because this determines the precinct where you're supposed to vote. It also determines, in many instances, in your local elections, who you're actually able to vote for. And so when your Board of Elections or Secretary of State believe they've got a conflict in your address, what's going on in their mind is we're not really sure who you should be voting for. Mm. So in many instances, it's not nefarious interstate cross-check is nefarious because everyone knows the data is bad. They are not looking at enough data points and the best things to use are postal service for did they file a change of address because who's to say that I am not living with my daughter most of the time, mm-hmm. but I prefer to go back to the old neighborhood and vote. I'm not voting in two places, but it's more convenient for me to live with my daughter. The, the government has no business getting in that as long as I am voting once yes. and only. Not been voting twice, committing a crime. That's different. Yes. But uh, like like uh, Kansas, however, uh, if you're going to you're going to take a first and last name and 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 compare it across a score of other states, well, of course there, there's going to be some repetition. I mean, there are other Andrea Millers out there, yes. Yeah, there are five Andrea Millers in Virginia alone. Oh well. Five. So what is the? I found that out when I went to the DMV when I first moved to Virginia to change my driver's license from Maryland to Virginia. Mm-hmm. So they were like, Andrew Miller, we already have a driver's license for you. I was like, really? I don't have one for me. <laughs> so you know something that I don't know. So, so they went down the list of Andrew Millers and it's like, no, I'm none of the above. Mm-hmm. I'm this I'm Andrew Miller. <laughs> As we all know and love. Uh, tell us then this connection between uh, DMV and voter registration. I don't know. Did we mention that? No, we did not okay. mention that. Okay. Now, one of the things that happened in the 1960s was they came up with this thing called Help America Vote Act, where they realized that if you were getting a driver's license, most people when they came to get a driver's license, would be old enough to vote. Notice I said most, not all. There were still a lot of young people. Yes. But if originally you were 21 and older, and then when they changed the law, you were 18 and older. If you would go to the DMV to renew your driver's license, get a driver's license, there would be the option to say, oh, and yes, update or do a voter registration for me. So that way you could kind of kill two birds with one stone. Mm. And and by doing so with the DMV, 
you are preparing yourself or giving yourself one of the uh, sources that are sought out by the state, any state, to make certain that right. you have... Uh, okay. Very good. All right. Uh, Mike, well, again, voting belongs to the state, as does the Department of Motor Vehicles. Yes, and both uh, driving and voting are privileges, not rights. We're going to start with that one when we return with the incredibly informative Andrea Miller. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Andy Fell Minute. In history class, most of us learned that the Civil War ended the institution of slavery in America. The 13th Amendment declared that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude should be legal in the land, except as a punishment for crime. It is this conspicuous loophole that award-winning director Ava DuVernay explores in her blistering documentary, 13th. Through a series of interviews with academics, businessmen, and politicians from both sides of the aisle, along with horrific historical photographs and modern video footage, 13th makes the case that slavery never disappeared in America. It only changed form. First with the Jim Crow laws of the South, then in the 80s as the war on drugs, and now with the disproportionate mass incarceration of black Americans. The subject matter is difficult, but DuVernay has edited the film so as to make it impossible to turn away. There are no moments of silence, no places to catch your breath. Hip-hop lyrics punctuate the film's segments, relentless in their plea for justice. If ever a film deserved to become required viewing across America, it would be 13th. Watch it tonight. 13th. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. My guest today, the reasonable voice of Andrea Miller, the executive director of People Demanding Action, among other things. We've been talking last week and this week about is Virginia voter ready? And this week is America voter ready for our midterms, understanding that midterms, while they are not presidential elections, they certainly involve, as Andrea's already mentioned, any a plethora of different offices and issues on the ballots, and we need to pay more attention. I never tire of hearing this because it is so vitally important. I mentioned at the end of the last segment, like driving, voting is not a right but a privilege. And it was Andrea Miller who first explained that to me years ago. So maybe just go a little more in depth for those listening today, Andrea. Explain to us the difference between a franchise that is a privilege and a right guaranteed in the Constitution. How's that? Happy to do that. Now, when people talk about voting rights, depending upon the context, often I correct them and remind them that voting in America has never been a right. It has always been something that was expanded by constitutional amendment. In the original drafting of the Constitution, the only people who were entitled or privileged to vote were white men who owned property. Mm. So basically the 1% of their day. Yes. Now, they gradually expanded it so that it could still be white men, but you no longer 
needed to own property. The last people to actually have the franchise expanded to include them, black men were included after the Civil War. And women of all races were not included until 1920. Yes. Wow. So if something is a right, that means two things. It means, number one, everybody has it. So we talk about the right to clean air and clean water. Mm -hmm. We don't say, well, that's the right for these people over there, but you, your women know you, you don't get clean air and clean water. Mm -hmm. So that would be a right. When we talk about voting, there very much is a class distinction. Well, you can vote providing that you don't have a felony. A felony is going to make you lose your ability to vote. You can vote provided we believe that we know where you live and you've updated your address. If you don't update your address, Nah, we're not really going to let you vote. So you see that difference between right and privilege? Yes, yes. And I'm going to go into this same-day registration. Oh, yes. We should have same-day registration everywhere in America because this is the 21st century. We are in the computer age. So why is it that many jurisdictions have computers where if I'm driving down the street and they don't like the way I'm driving, they take a picture of my driver's license Mm. and have the ability to find me no matter what state I live in and send me tickets. Are you really trying to tell me that an individual state would be unable to find their own state? Yes. Ridiculous. Again, when I turn 65, which will be very, very shortly for me, it doesn't matter what state I'm living in, Medicare manages to find me and send me a, hi, welcome to Medicare. Yes. You know, Uh hey, these are the benefits to which you are entitled. So this nonsense that we don't know where our citizens are is ridiculous. Mm. Which brings us right back to, yes, who should be checking their registration and how often because... There's so much going on. I know states, I do want to make this quick point again that you mentioned in the last segment that the elections, even though there is a federal umbrella of sorts, and we, we should speak to that, but uh, elections are state-run events. And so each state gets its little wrinkle of how it wants it done. And um, some states are abusive, and some states like California's Come on in. So give us a little of, uh, uh, share with us about the differences in some states and the necessity to uh, register, to double check your registration and how often and who should do that. Well, every voter in America should 
check their registration status, especially in light of the, and now we're following where federal checks go, just to make sure that I call it being vote ready. So I'm checked as an African-American. I check my registration status probably quarterly. I can do it on my computer. It takes literally just a moment. I go in, I take a peek, I look, and I make sure. One of the other things um, is whenever there's a primary, I always check about maybe four to six weeks after the primary do they have that I voted? Now, they don't know who you voted for, mm-hmm. but they know whether or not you showed up at the poll, check in to capture ballot that they know. So I take a look to make sure, do they know that I voted or, you know, am I looking at some mistake where they think I didn't show up when I know I did? So it's very important, and you must use your state website, or if you do use a third-party website, make sure they are showing your registration status. It's not enough to just say you're registered. Am I registered, and is that registration active? Yes. If you are inactive, you can almost think of inactive as a pre-purge list. These are the voters where if they don't take an action at some point, their ability to vote is going to be compromised, if not lost altogether. So very important, if you find yourself inactive, remember the voter registration deadline in most states is going to be anywhere from the 6th of October which would be 30 days before the election. In some states, it's more generous. Like in Virginia, it's the 15th of October. But that means you need to recognize you've got a challenge voting and B, deal with that challenge by re-registering prior to your state voter registration deadline. Now, you mentioned California. California has same-day registration yes. as does Maryland. So in California or Maryland, when I show up to vote at the polls, if they announce you're not a registered voter, I can say I, I'm not. Oh, okay, well, I'm standing here. Let me take care of that issue right here and right now. One of the other things I wanted to tell your listeners is If you are still a driver and you have an active driver's license at your DMV, one of the benefits of having an active license at the DMV or a DMV voter card is you can register or update your registration online and they will use the signature from your DMV record. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So again, states have really tried to do a good job. Some states have done a better job than others. Yes. Of bringing those two state agencies together. 
together. So in many states, they will say, if you've got a DMV driver's license or MBA or whatever they call it in your state, or you've got an ID, I don't drive, but I want to get an official state ID, a very flexible one, and you get it from the driving authority, that can be used to allow you to register, re-register, or update your registration online. You know, Andrea, as I listen to you, and of course all of this is extremely valuable, we are in the computer age, and we certainly have been abundantly focused, most of us, I guess, not all, on our intelligence agencies, say the Russians did in our 2016 elections. But we tend to focus our attention on the presidential election. And in reality, again, our intelligence community alleges that Russia hacked into a number of state elections. I wonder... What do we as voters, uh, how do we stand up? How do we get our states, since voting is a state event, how do we get our states to protect our elections, at least state by state? What what can we do? Well, there's two different levels where we're dealing with computers and voting. Number one is the voter file itself. So there is discussion that in some states the voter file was actually penetrated, meaning people got into the voter file. Now, what does that mean? If you get into the voter file, then people could technically change the status of people. They could change them from active to inactive say they were unregistered. So that would be a simple thing to do because it would simply require changing one data element and suddenly now people can't vote. They're not going to go into a data file and mess with millions of things that complicated programming and might take a moment. But to go to a big data source to identify one and say what we're going to do is we're going to change the A active to a U unregistered. It took me longer to say it than it would for a hacker if they penetrated the database to be able to do it. Now, next, the other side of electronic voting is, so see, the voter file determines who's going to be let in the door cast the ballot in the first place. Mm -hmm. Now, the second part of electronic gets to be in counting those up. So we actually run a campaign that we call Let Me Vote, Count My Vote. We want to make sure we can get people in the door, but we also want to make sure that the vote is accurately counted, that we're counting the votes as the voters intended when they voted. Mm. changed it. 
machine is touch brain and you said, I want to vote this person, I want to vote that person, this person. You don't have a receipt. You push buttons and you're hoping that the machine accurately recorded who you voted. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. One of the reasons Virginia got rid of their voting machines is Governor McAuliffe went to cast his ballot and he knew who he was voting for. And when it got to the screen where it said confirmed, it was like, that's not who I wanted to vote for. He went back and then he had to do it three times. And it's like, whoa, we don't want this kind of voting equipment. Mm. Georgia still uses touchscreen machine. Allocated $380 million for states to upgrade their voting equipment. Now, Virginia is nearly 100% paper ballots. We got rid of our, quote, touchscreen machine. We have paper ballots. Paper is good. You mark your ballot. You take your piece of paper, you put it in the machine, and then you scan your paper. However, what we have to do is make sure we maintain those scans that these new scanners take of the paper because they aren't counting paper. They're counting the copy of the paper mm-hmm. they made. Mm-hmm. So that's the other thing. So I guess then... Part of the answer to my question is that we, we the voters, have to say to our state government, General Assembly, governors, we have to say, I guess one of the first things is we don't want touchscreen computers anymore, and we want some kind of backup. Now, I know you've explained last week that the greatest backup, which is not necessarily being implemented by the Commonwealth of Virginia, but one can put the count uh, from what the computer data shows on a thumb drive so that the public can come in and, you know, en masse, make an appointment or whatever, and actually see the ballots. Am I getting that correct? Uh, Yes, and those would be ballot images. Virginia is not alone. There are really only three states where statewide they are making proper use of the digital equipment that they have. And that digital equipment was built to provide very transparent and very auditable elections, where when you put your piece of paper in, it's like a double-sided copier. It makes a copy, and then it stays the image. So now you've got the original paper ballot, which can later be matched to the image, and now you've got the image. While it's very easy to hack an electronic touchscreen machine, because all you need to know is what is the total vote count on that machine divided by two at one, and that's winning. What they would do with machines like that is they would say, we want to win by 13%, 16%, whatever it was, and then it would flip that many votes so that you never had, wait a minute, only 289 people voted in this precinct, but we've got 385 ballots to that, you know, we got 385 votes, that's just wrong. They know not to do that. And again, it's very simple. How do you hack a bunch of pictures, especially when they're barcoded, stereotyped? Yes, yes. 
We, this is always, it's, it's just always mind-boggling, talking to you, <laughs> listening to you. But before we go, we are out of time, but, but I want to make certain we make this point. We all think uh, the Jim Crow era is over. We even think it was only, Jim Crow only existed in the Deep South. We even think that during the Civil War, uh, African Americans were treated like equal citizens in the North. We think a lot of things that are the myth of movies. I wonder if, just bring us up to date, because whether we call it Jim Crow or they're wearing sheets or not, there's a reality that still people of color, communities of color, and every color, by the way, are being discriminated against when it comes to any number of things. But specifically today for the voting process in elections, what are some of the numbers that all of America need to be aware of that people of color are still up against in that voting booth? the point that regardless of whatever went on with the Russians, our electoral system is being hacked domestically here at home. Things are being altered by our own American government, state governments that we don't really need the Russians to mess with us. What do you think? Long before anyone ever said anything about, quote, Russians in 2000, nobody thought or said it was the Russian. The same for 2004, Russia was never, ever, ever, ever mentioned. Even in the Georgia 6th District or that special election in 2017, Russia was never mentioned as being a possibility. 
computer. That's not people. Mm. All right. That is a powerful way to end. A lot of hands that are not clean, and therefore all of the things we've learned today from Andrea Miller is something that all of we the people need to take to heart, pay attention, and do what we need to do to protect our privilege to vote. One person, one vote, and it's not just the Russians. Okay, Andrea Miller, thank you so very much for being on the show again. The messages you bring uh, to our listeners are invaluable, and, and we wish you all the best to continue to educate us and to help us. I know you train people on how to register voters. You do that. We should mention your website for that. We should mention whatever website and contact information you want to share with us. Well, you can go to our website, centerforcommonground.org. That's the website where we deal with voting across all 50 states. If you're in Virginia, um, you can go to Virginia Register number two vote.org that's a website dedicated solely to the commonwealth of virginia and everything you need to do in virginia we're looking at maybe developing websites like that for other states excellent okay thank you so much andrea miller for being on our show today we greatly appreciate it and wish you all the best because you're doing all the best for the united states of america Thank you, Andrea. Thank you, Martella. Bye now. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Indie film distribution today doesn't leave a ton of room for experimentation, but once in a while, a film comes along that is so strange yet so grippingly interesting, you can't help but keep watching just to see what happens. Andrew Bachowski's Computer Chess is one of those rare films. Set in 1980 and shot on old-fashioned black-and-white video to recreate what amateur footage from the era would look like, the film follows an ensemble of characters at a computer chess tournament. The film's weaving storylines involve a young nerd's questioning of his mentors and subsequent sexual awakening, a hotshot programmer's fall from grace, a chess grandmaster running in the tournament who seems perpetually surprised to see a female programmer at the proceedings, and rumors about the tournament and the brilliant minds who designed the chess software being watched by the Pentagon, trying to glean candidates for their next project. It's hard to pin down what makes computer chess so fascinating. It is humorous, hypnotic, and unconventional, an example of the kind of film never found in the multiplex, but with luck in your pocket, a gem uncovered at a film fest, or through the indie film minute that leaves your film horizons expanded. Computer chess, not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Find us on the web at IndieFilmMinute.com. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. America, a bridge over trumped troubled waters. I'm not into obits that spare the rod at the cost of truth. Senator John McCain could be petty and rage in a fit of temper, but while lesser men had other priorities or claimed bone spurs for deferments, John McCain, who wasn't a war hero for being captured, 
but a true patriotic example for all who aspire to live heroic lives, electing to serve and stay in Vietnam until his fellow POWs were released. Then, returning home, he was a serving America hero throughout his entire life. As husband, father, Navy fighter pilot, and politician, John McCain, a frequent ally on both sides of the aisle, optimized, whether thumbs up or down, all of America's states were his responsibility. Even when Americans failed to follow his example to preserve, protect, and defend every life on American soil. Senator McCain knew from Alaska's front porch view of Russia to hurricane-hammered Hawaii to forgotten Native Americans and geographically and morally detached Puerto Rican Americans, true patriots like real heroes don't use ice to destroy families and disappear children. During his 81 years, President Lyndon B. Johnson unnecessarily made Eisenhower's and Kennedy's Vietnam worse. With Kent State and failure to keep Vietnam promise and Watergate cover-up, President Richard M. Nixon devastated America's faith in government. In 1968, America lost Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., then Bobby. Then, in the streets of Chicago, a defensive Mayor Richard J. Daley released offensive police to commit assault and battery against anti-war American citizens. Violence which, in the heat of three nights, lured America onto the road to Trump's erosion of our First Amendment. Only a united people can survive the uber-wealthy Republican 50-year plan to herd us, no matter our political POV, into feudalistic serfs over-consuming for corporatism's profit. Our current wounds and troubled waters didn't begin with Trump's flood of lies, though his lack of knowledge and respect for American law, coupled with a complete disregard for human decency, probably convinces his moral destitute ego that he alone is master of our un-Americanism. Nonetheless, America's current troubling waves are less about Trump and more about how Americans progress our nation forward, embodying our ideals of life, liberty, and the pursuit of justice for all, finally internalizing, one, immigration reform means practicing what our Statue of Liberty preaches, two, children must be saved from gun violence, and all pedophiles, whether priests or preachers, politicians or teachers, college coaches or athletic doctors. 3. Justice for all means all, including LGBTQ, those taking a knee, and refugees seeking asylum. However, as long as some Americans vote for a Supreme Court that betrays our historical separation of church and state, our desire for gender equality, and our one-person, one-vote exceptionalism, America will be trumped by greed, twisting constitutional interpretations into profit margins. When Americans choose to ignore emoluments clause violations, limitations on the 25th Amendment, laughing off live confessions of grabbing intimate female areas, unprecedented disrespect for heroes like John McCain, while inflaming division with tweets of misinformation, America will be run by a cowardly Congress, politicized Supreme Court, 
and an unindicted co-conspirator president of the United States, increasingly cornered and dangerously vengeful. The loss of anyone is as heartbreaking for family and friends as losing the vision, humor, and soul of a nation is crippling. Nonetheless, we need rediscover our hero within to non-violently vanquish the opportunists inciting a house divided against itself. The faith of Americans in our collective heroism and personal strength of character has been relentlessly attacked by tsunamis of hateful self-delusion, fearful self-doubt, and ravenous death. Anthony Bourdain, Steve Ditko, Milos Foreman, Stephen Hawking, Tab Hunter, Margot Kitter, Robin Leach, Peter Roth, Kate Spade, Tom Wolfe, Craig Zadin, and now Aretha Franklin, Neil Simon, and John McCain. In 19 months, Trump confirmed it is easier to destroy America's protective institutions than it is for a Christ-like pope to save a Roman institution from itself. Throughout his life, Senator John McCain made it abundantly clear he served an America that was for all of its people, including rivals. Rejecting misinformation and denial bestirs America's heroic bridge to victory over troubling threats. Climate change, gun violence, Alzheimer's disease, abused children. Now we must decisively admit our future is on us. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.